All right, so today we're going to talk about lessons in the life of David. Now, why would we talk about the life of David instead of, like, the life of Moses or some other famous person in the Bible? And one of the reasons why it's so good to study the life of David is because he has this amazing journey from his youth until his old age and how he walks out his calling. And he has kind of like uh, most people say like five distinct seasons in his life. And over the years, I've just really found it so helpful to study the life of David to understand the process of my own life and my own calling. And so, um, you know, David, he went through seasons of demotion. He went through seasons of promotion. He had times when he thought that he, like, arrived his calling and arrived his purpose. And then, surprise, whoops, it wasn't. And, um, and in the end, he really was so faithful to keep his heart before the Lord right. He was so humble. And, um, and I feel like, you know, especially when we're in a school like this or when we're learning a lot about the Lord or we're kind of getting the eternal perspective more, like, clear for ourselves, like we're getting excited about the bride and, and Jesus the bridegroom and the king and his return and this epic crescendo, it's really great and it's super epic and we're in this really epic story but there are days when the epicness of the eternal story is not feeling so epic. You know, I don't feel super excited or epic or like I'm in this great story when, like, the elevator's broken and it's 37 degrees and I'm, like, going up and down the stairs with my baby. And then I'm thinking, what does this have to do with the big picture again? You know, like, <laughs> you really need to have vision and you need to end those moments when you're washing the dishes or scrubbing a toilet or just, like, trying to get from A to B without passing out. That's been me this week. <laughs> that you, you get that perspective and that you are able to tap into to vision and so that you stay on the right course and you don't get disillusioned. I think that's one of the really huge keys of the life of David is how to remain with our eyes fixed on Jesus, on the big picture, when things get mundane, when things feel like boring and not that cool and exciting. Okay. <coughs> So one of the things that we can see as we study the life of David is that the Bible really marks David as a primary example for the saints on the earth. <coughs> Isaiah 55, verse 3 through 4 says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. And then Jeremiah 3.15 says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart, like David, and they will feed you with understanding. So David is really kind of like Mary of Bethany. We see in the Bible that he's marked as a man after God's own heart. He's marked as a man who is an example and how to live a godly life and how to walk out our calling and destiny in the context of the big story. So we see that David's life was primarily measured by two core realities. The first one is intimacy with God and meekness before people. Intimacy with God and meekness before people. These were the things that strengthened David in each season of his life. <coughs> his primary identity, his value and success was established by who he was before God as one that God loved and then as one who loved God in return, and then this overflowed to others. This was like his ministry was like a natural overflow of his love for God and, and, and receiving God's love. So his primary uh, definition of success or sense of success uh, before God was this anointing to love. And he felt successful based in this, in this context. So I really think that this is interesting in contrast to our society. Like when, when you're like a teenager and you're getting ready to graduate from high school or whatever you call it in the Netherlands, I kind of forget. 
what secondary school is referred to. What is kind of the question that everybody is asking you? What are you going to do with your life? <laughs> I mean, I just remember when I was like 15, 16, 17, people would ask me that question. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? Like, and so that kind of gives a message that our primary sense of success is on our calling or on what we're going to do or what we will produce. So we become human doings instead of human beings. And so everything that we filter, our affirmation, our assurance of who we are, ends up being based on what we're going to do. And we don't mean to do that. Those things are really important. What you do is important, but it's so secondary compared to our identity as who we are as one who is loved by God and as one who, who loves God. So I think, um, you know, this is, this is actually kind of a, a huge contrast in the way how God thinks and how, like, our humanistic thinking filters into how we approach life. Think about even with missions. We can often place in a wrong way a success or a feeling of value based on, wow, I'm going to go do this great and awesome thing. I remember I had to wrestle through this when I was, like, going to be an intercessory missionary, I really had to start thinking about this because when I was raising support, I couldn't go tell people, like, hey, I'm going to go build a well <laughs> for some people who are, like, really poor and don't have water. And that somehow felt more valuable to me as a person than standing before God, loving him and receiving his love as my primary identity. Or... Let's say the Lord said, <clears throat> now I want you to just go low and serve as a janitor at this fast food restaurant for whatever reason. Then I would compare my value and say, oh, that's not as cool as like if I was finally launched into my calling and doing some humanitarian aid work in another country. You see, like our value has to stay the same and who we are in Christ and how he sees us and how he loves us. Our value has to be in that relationship as one after God's own heart, and then whatever we do, our value doesn't change. It stays the same in the high seasons and the low seasons when you look super awesome and when you look super weak. So it's important that we get this in the right order. We must be those who walk as sons and daughters of a loving father as oppo opposed to orphans of a harsh taskmaster. We must walk as a bride adored by her husband. What does it mean for God to be after me and me to be after God? Yeah. I want to open to Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. <coughs> Some of you are really familiar with this passage. And for some of you, it might be new. Luke 10, verse 30, sorry. Where'd it go? 38 through 42. This is the story of Mary and Martha. It says, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, <clears throat> do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, there's so much that we could, we could dive into in this passage, but one of the things when I, when I look at this passage and I feel Jesus calling me to this place of my primary identity as a lover of him and a receiver of his love, I often read a passage like that, which is talking about the same thing. It's saying, stop all the busy things and just be before me, be in relationship with me, be in connection with me. I immediately think, oh man, I'm such a Martha. <laughs> Like, I'm not really Mary. Like, that's the good part, but I get so busy. And when I read that, I can start hearing in a wrong way and through a wrong filter that Jesus isn't happy with me because 
I'm not walking in this identity like I should be. It's almost like you can feel it as a condemnation. But what I think is when Jesus said, Martha, Martha, why are you so busy? You know, I think he was just that passionate bridegroom heart just calling her and saying, you're not successful based on how well you serve me. You're not successful based on how busy you are. I just love you. I think that was really his heart and his passion in calling her to that place of sitting before the feet of Jesus like her sister. It wasn't, well, you're just terrible, and look at how awesome your sister is. He really desired Martha in that place. So I just want to encourage you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, gosh, I'm just so not like a man or a woman after God's own heart, it's not a condemnation. It's the passionate bridegroom calling you to that place of your first love. And it's not in a condemning tone. It's in a passionate bridegroom, oh my gosh, I love you so much, like come to me kind of way. I want you to have that filter as we go through this teaching. So in summary, David's primary identity was being one who was loved by God and as a lover of God, therefore successful. The Lord has, uh, Samuel 13 verse 14 says, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander, leader, or king over his people. This is 1 Samuel 13, 14. So this is what God was looking for in in how he was giving, like, giving calling, you know. In this context, it was God was looking for a king after his own heart to be king over Israel. And it it just shows so much that the Lord is, like, really, he's not thinking about other things that we would think about. He's really thinking about the heart. This is who God is. He's always thinking about the heart. I like to think about the function of the thoughts and the emotions being brought into place, where it's like the movements of your most inner man are moving towards each other in this intimate relationship. I think sometimes when we hear a phrase like, you know, I want to be a man after God's own heart, especially in a European culture, we can rationalize it so much in our heads. Like we find it hard to get in touch with this passion. And then when we think of passion and like, oh, this just intense desire, sometimes we kind of chalk it up to this like infatuation feeling or like something that's not really real. It's just emotion. It's just feeling. But there's actually a holy passion and a holy desire in our relationship with the Lord that is like my whole being. It's not just a love in my mind. That's important too. But there's something, I have these moments, I don't know if you recognize this in your own life, but when you're in worship or you're in prayer and it's just like everything in you just has to pour out love, like everything in you has to express passion and desire. I think this is kind of like the feeling behind this statement as being one after God's own heart. It's not just like a, a choosing that there's that part too, the daily choosing to serve and to love, but there's this passion that wells up. And I think that's what was driving David. It was that fiery gaze, that desire of the bridegroom. He knew that this bridegroom God was passionate for him and it drove him. It drove him to love. It drove him to do all the things that he did. This is so different than when we're in Martha mode and we're just like trying to do good things to kind of feel valuable and like make God love us somehow. The Lord is really after that passionate exchange. Make sure I don't get ahead of myself here. Yeah, I was just thinking um, to share with you an example, you know, in the context of marriage, um, you know, being married to Johan, I've been kind of on this journey of like, what does it look like <laughs> to exchange love in the day to day? Like, you know, is it like, I know there's, there's times when the enemy will try to get between us and kind of make me feel like, you know, Johan 
isn't pleased with me in some way or something. It's not that Yoan has said that, but the enemy will try to try to do that. And then I start to like scramble and be anxious and try to do things that make him feel like I, I love him so that somehow he will think I'm this awesome, worthy wife, you know? And, and then there's these moments where, you know, we pray together, we find each other, and he affirms me, and he says, Aletta, I love you, you know? It's not about what you're doing. I just, I just love you. I love who you are. I love every part of you, and he affirms me. And the funny thing is, is that when I'm in that place, from a place of rest and peace, I naturally start doing the same things I was doing out of strife, but instead they're out of rest, and they're out of love because I feel so affirmed and I feel so at peace that he just likes me and it doesn't matter what I do. See the difference? You can do the same things. You can walk out the same calling, but the context changes depending on your, how, where you're at and what you believe how Jesus feels about you. What time is it? Oh, good. We're good. So in a secondary way, David saw himself as the one who God made him to be before men, whether as a shepherd, armor bearer for Saul, a fugitive serving his men in the wilderness, or even a king of Israel. David wanted to be in the right place, fulfilling his divine assignment. David trusted that God would lead him in the different seasons of his life. And many only embrace it when it involves high positions that are honored by men. But God does not value the, the role of a king who rules from a palace more than he does the one who cleans it. So like I said before, it's like, doesn't matter if you're the guy cleaning the toilets in the castle or if you're the king that's ruling over the land. Everything is unto the Lord. Everything is in context to that love and desire of the bridegroom and his desire for us as his bride. So I want to talk for a moment about a witness to meekness. David is a witness to, to meekness because his primary attitude in each season of his life was to walk in meekness and to serve with a, with a servant spirit, whether as a shepherd, an armor bearer, a fugitive, or a king. He expressed this in a practical way by being faithful in the small things. And I'm sorry, just a second. And the only, only character trait, actually, that Jesus proclaimed about himself was, was meekness. Jesus really referred to himself as the humble servant, the one who went from the highest place to the lowest place. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is the heart of Jesus. I want to take a moment, actually, to describe this attribute of humility, of the humility of Jesus, because it really, um, it really captures the heart of God. I've been meditating the last weeks on this verse, take my yoke, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's Matthew eleven twenty nine, and and um, And I've just been kind of journaling around it, and I kind of had this, this picture that, you know, when I think about my calling, I think about running the race in the context of eternity, trying to picture what does it really look like to be yoked to Jesus? What does it really, what does that feel like? So I just want to kind of take a moment to paint this picture that's been in my head that I believe is from the Holy Spirit. And maybe you all just can close your eyes and just kind of picture yourself in a story. So I want you to picture something like, something a little bit like Lord of the Rings. I know that's not the most original example, but <laughs> it's a really good one, or Narnia, or something like that. And I want you to picture that, you know, we're moving towards a kingdom that is really coming to earth as it is in heaven, and that Jesus, the king, who's not only a king, but a real bridegroom who desires you is getting ready to come back but there's a journey to get there. It's kind of like Frodo and the Shire, you know? It's like everything is really nice, but he's called to go out and on a journey onto a destination, onto a future um, 
return of the age, the return of the king. So I want you to picture that you have like, you're like an ox, and you're going to pull this wagon to get somewhere. You have to plow. This is part of it. You have to plow to get to the destination. And you're kind of feeling like heavy (laughs) and burdened. And, you know, you're like, how am I ever going to make it? And then you look, and there's this man next to you who's like not that beautiful, not that desirable, but he's smiling, but he's kind of skinny and scrawny. He doesn't look that great. (coughs) And he says, hey, I'm going to help you. And you're kind of like, okay, are we going to do this together? We're going to, we're going to plow this together. Okay. I, you know, and then you look again and you look into his eyes and you go, oh my gosh, that's the king. Like that's the bridegroom. And he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly. And you realize, wow, I get to run this race with the king of kings, and he is showing me the way by humbling himself and going so low, and I get to do this out of rest. I get to do this abiding in the one that I love. It's not a striving. It's not a producing for the sake of producing to be, to have some sort of value, but he just, he just wants me to be with him. He just wants me to run with him, and he's leading me, and he's gentle and lowly in heart, and you realize as you're pulling this yoke together with this king who currently looks like a servant and currently doesn't look so mighty that it's going to be okay. It's really going to be okay. I'm going to make it because I'm walking with him. I'm plowing with him. I can rest in that. I can run the race set before me because the bridegroom, the servant, the king, he's with me. And he's after my heart. And it, that is the context. That is the context that we need to have in our minds and in our hearts as we move forward. This is the context that David was running his race in from a, from a small boy till he was king over Israel. kind of reminds me of like a three-legged race you know it's like just imagine running the race and you're like in a three-legged race and Jesus is your buddy I mean that's really that's really what it's like okay so this is a huge contrast to the way of our society the one who goes the lowest will be raised up again Jesus who is known as the greatest servant of all, will, c- will be raised up to the highest place. He is raised up to the highest place. And this is the nature and character of Christ, and this is what David also portrayed in his leadership and the low seasons and the high seasons. So let's get into the five seasons of the life of David. <coughs> we kind of set a context. We've talked about... David being a man after God's own heart, we've talked about how we filter our success. We've talked about um, being yoked to Jesus, about walking as one who abides in him, that passionate desire, passionate encounter with him. And now we're going to apply that to a picture of what our lives could look like practically. And David is going to be our example. (coughs) So I'm just going to say first the five different seasons so that you can write them down so you have them like all next to each other and this is just a taster so later if you if if this really moves you you know if you're like me you're like man David is such a great example you can actually go back and study the seasons of the life of David so the first one is his Bethlehem season and that is first Samuel 16 and it's approximately that he was about seven, or approximated that he was about 17 years old. Then we have the season of Gibeah, and that's found in 1 Samuel 17 through 20. And that's, uh, he was approximately between 18 and 23 years old. Just tell me if I go too fast. <coughs> We're good? Okay. Then we have the season of Adullam, and that's 1 Samuel 21 through 
uh, chapter 31, and this is when he was approximately 23 to 30 years old. Then we have the Hebron season, which is Second uh, Samuel ver- uh, chapters 2 through 5, and he was approximately 30 to 37 years old. Uh, chapter 2 through 5. The age is approximately 30 to 37 years old. Hebron. And the last season, and of course these are titles given based on where we read he's at in the Bible. You can retitle it. But uh, we've got the Jerusalem slash Zion season. And that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6 through 24. This is approximately from the time he's 37 to 70 years old. All right. I remember when I took this class eight years ago <laughs> in, in IHOP, we had a teacher, his name was Matt Candler. And I remember we were like all a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds. And like every two to three weeks, we'd be like, dude, I'm in like this season of blah, 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 blah. And then three weeks later, we would be like, I'm in this season, la di da di da. Like it would be something totally different. And then, and then Matt, he was up there, and he's like, um, guys, that's not a season change. <laughs> that's just the ups and downs of life. Like, seasons are a lot longer than just a few weeks or a couple of months. And I just remember, like, thinking, really? I mean, this feels really different than I did three weeks ago. But now that I'm 10 years in, and I can kind of see a little bit, like, real, like, you know, seven-year seasons in my life, I'm like, oh, my goodness. He's so right. I didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) So let's first talk about the Bethlehem season. So Bethlehem is where David received his initial call to be king of Israel. And yet again, David was focused on being established in his primary identity as one loved by God and a lover of God. And David was empowered to be faithful in the mundane small things as he developed a meek servant spirit. And the Bethlehem season, it really represents the time in our lives when we start receiving a lot of prophetic promises. And a lot of times these things really require, like, the, the prophetic promises, they really require faithfulness in the, in the mundane. So practically, this is like, kind of, it, it means serving behind the scenes. It means supporting others and not really looking that promoted Now, in this season, I want to kind of describe a picture. Maybe some of you (laughs) will be able to relate. Um, You know, remember, David is like around 17 years old, and he was one of many sons of the sons of Jesse. But what's interesting, when you read the passage, you'll find that when Samuel came to anoint the chosen one, he didn't quite know who he was. He just knew he was supposed to go to the house of Jesse, Jesse, like, pulled out all these other sons and be like, maybe it's this one. Maybe it's this son. And he, he went through several sons before they finally got to David. And, and as you kind of read between the lines and as you see the picture painted of David's early life, he was pretty rejected. Like, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't the favorite of the family. He wasn't the kingly-looking son of the family he was he was a little bit of an outcast they put him as a shepherd in the fields I mean we see like all these beautiful paintings of shepherds and sheep and green meadows but it's like hot you know he was like in the sun all by himself not really liked not the favorite son not the one that everyone thought was going to have you know this amazing kingly destiny in the future So I think, uh, I think what I want to kind of cast vision for as I talk about this season is that when you receive prophetic promises and when you're in like a Bethlehem season in your life, don't, don't be offended if everyone else doesn't see it. 
like actually take that time to go deep with the Lord and cultivate your identity in secret. Like cultivate your identity as the Lord's favorite in that season because if you can if you can get into that place of wow, even out here with these sheep and this hot sun and even though my family doesn't like me and even though I'm fighting off bears and lions for some stupid sheep, like wow, I'm your favorite. Like really encounter the love of God in that season of hiddenness because that that is what's preceding your promotion because remember like our calling is so secondary but our identity and who we are is not based on what we do or how people see us if we are humble in secret we will be humble before men if we glorify God in secret we will glorify him in public if we are secure in him in secret the praises of man will not produce pride in us in the day of promotion so that's season one. First Samuel 16, Bethlehem season, 17 years old. Let's move to the season of Gibeah. 18 to 23 years old. Now, I want you to imagine that this is what the story says. David <coughs> received this anointing. Uh, from Samuel, the high priest of the land, and he knows that he's called to be the anointed king. He knows that one day God is going to raise him up, and it's really going to happen, even though his life looks anything but kingly. We see in the season of Gibeah that uh, David is invited and honored into the the place where King Saul, the king of that time, lives. So he kills Goliath. And then suddenly he has like instant fame, you know. He's 18, between 18 and 23 years old. He goes from the shepherd boy into this place of honor and high praise. He even gets to marry Saul's daughter. Now I just want to ask you, <laughs> if you receive this calling and anointing from Samuel the high priest, and then suddenly you are invited into the king's court after this amazing battle defeat and you get to marry Saul's daughter. What do you think is happening? You think, hey, I've been promoted. This, I'm, I'm, I'm walking out my calling now. Like, here we go. I'm marrying the, the king's daughter. I mean, if I were David, I would be thinking, wow, I'm a national hero. Um, I'm marrying the king's daughter. I've moved into Gebeah. This is King Saul's royal headquarters. And this is how God is going to make me king. I mean, can you imagine how, like, what a high you would feel? <laughs> like, it would just be, it would be such a, it, w it would feel like, man, we really, we really made it. And I'm only 20 years old, you know. But little did, did David know that he was going to be tested, that this was a testing before a long journey, before finally reaching the destination of God's promise over his life. Early successes are often deceptive and thus easily misinterpreted. But in this season, God's calling on David's life was never about David's happiness. God's calling on David's life was never about David's happiness. God's love affair with David was about David's happiness. So even in this season, which was going to end, it was it, what was being tested, what was being refined in David was like, hey, when you're promoted, where is your, where is your identity? Of, where is your success? Is it that King Saul invited you into his court and that you married his daughter and now you're Mr. Awesome? Or is it, hey, it's still the same. It's still the same as when you were in the fields under the hot sun, all alone, rejected by your family with me. It doesn't change. And I think that, you know, that's my personal opinion when I read this season of David's life, that that's what the Lord was getting at. He was really trying to get to the core of David and test what had been cultivated in the secret place.
So let's move on to be a Dulem season. This is 1 Samuel 21 through 31, where we read about the season. And David is approximately 23 to 30 years old. And this is the season where David is tested and strengthened by adversity. He finds comfort only by realigning his heart with God. Basically, David, after a a short temporary season of success, thinking that he's reached his destination and his calling, suddenly Saul turns on him. And Saul wants to kill him. I mean, this is more than just, you know, we kind of read it and we, we know that this is what, what David was going through. But just imagine, you know, he, he, he was married to his daughter. So your father-in-law wants to kill you. And then at the same time, while you've been living in Gebeah, you come, become best friends like covenant brothers with your, with your father-in-law's son. So this isn't just, oh shoot, some distant relationships are driving me out and rejecting me. This is family. This isn't just a government battle. This is, this is a family catastrophe. I mean, just imagine the pain in David's heart when he thought, you know, the Lord was, <coughs> was leading him into his calling, but then only to find that he would be driven out by his family. It, it, it would, wouldn't it bring up those same wounds that were in the shepherd season? I mean, that, that, that takes some testing, you know? It's like, are you going to be offended or are you going to, again, run to the one who loves you, run to the one who deeply desires you? It's, it's hard, but we have those seasons in our life. But the Lord is so good, and we'll see as we go through that the Lord is so faithful and so sovereign in how he uses circumstances like this to bring us forth in love and also, in a secondary way, help us to reach the destiny of our calling, our anointing, without becoming prideful, without being offended. I mean, the Lord is so good. So let's continue. <coughs> so in this season, I'll just read some of the, the, um, the verses from Psalms that were coming out of David's heart while he was on the run. Oh, and as a side note, <laughs> when, when David left, you know, you know you read about his mighty men. Those mighty men were not like the, the favorites of the land. These were outcasts. These were criminals. These were grumpy men that you don't want on your leadership team. Huge character issues. Huge pride issues. So he's kicked out. He's on the run. He's a fugitive, and the Lord gives him a bunch of criminals on his leadership team. So this is some of what of, of the songs that were coming out before him, or out of his mouth before the Lord in this season. Psalm 16, verse 8, I set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. This is what he was singing in this season. Psalm 27, verse 13 through 14, I I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, he's singing over himself. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait. I say, on the Lord. I mean, can you imagine you're just in all this pressure and the song, you're just like, wait, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, O my soul. Psalm 84, verse 11, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. One of my favorite things about this season is that while he's on the run from his father-in-law who's trying to kill him, David never took matters into his own hands. So time and time again, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. I mean, the anointing was on his life. He had the, he had the, the power and the spirit of the Lord upon him that he could have killed Saul many times. In fact, his, his men wanted him to to take his life there was even a point i don't remember exactly where it is but do you remember the part in the story where they go into saul's camp to steal 
And then, uh, and then I don't know how that works, but then one of the mighty men says, David, Saul is right here. This guy who's trying to kill us, he's sleeping. They're all asleep. Like, why don't you just take his life and let's be done with it already? Take over. I can become king, or you can become king, and, and we're just done with this mess. And David says, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. David's heart was, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to wait until the Lord initiates my season of promotion. And I think that's something we can really learn from. It can be so tempting <laughs> to just take matters into your own hands and decide you're, that you're going to make it happen when it looks so easy. It even feels like you have the wind in your back, you know? Yeah, it's actually 1 Samuel 26, verse 9 through 11. It says, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So the principle that we want to take from this is that when we are in yet another hidden season, when we're in a season of a dulem, and we're in that season where we experience disappointment, that we don't take matters into our own hands. I am a super solution-oriented person. <laughs> I, <laughs> Rosanna's nodding her head. I actually got that line from her because we lead the EPP worship team together. And I'm just, you know, so not into details. <laughs> I just want to get the job done. I just want to, I just want to move forward and I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to track on. You know, e even with my husband, it's so funny. I like do my makeup in the morning and then Johan's like, hey, I think you got too much white on the, on the top of your eye there. I think you need to like fix your makeup a little bit or, <laughs> or it's like not in a critical way, but just because I don't notice these things, I just see the overall picture and I'm just like, we're going to reach the destination, get my makeup done, go downstairs, eat breakfast, done, you know? I'm not, I'm not thorough by nature. So when I've been in like an adulam season, I am so frustrated. It's like I know that God is using this season to produce love in me. I know that there is a big master plan behind this difficult season that I'm in. But but I just, I really have to fight my flesh because I just, I like to go fast, you know? When I'm like running, I like to run. I'd rather sprint than do a marathon. I just, I just want to get there, you know? And, and that's just such a season of, of testing, you know, when, when, when we're in that season to not take matters into our own hands, to not, to not cease promotion out of our own flesh, but really allowing the spirit of the Lord to lead us. So again, in that season, where is your identity? Are you rooted and grounded in love? Is your identity as a lover of God and as one who is loved by God? Where is our primary sense, sense of success? <coughs> I actually had a, uh, an adulam season a few years ago. <coughs> I moved to be a part of a house of prayer that was going 24-7. It had been going one and a half years, and I was there for a number of months after that. And to be quite honest, I thought I was going to be, like, there for the rest of my life, that this house of prayer in this nation that I love a lot would go 24-7 until Jesus came back, and I was just going to be there. And unfortunately, it was, I was like 20 years old, you know, it was very much like a, a Gebeah season, like I thought I arrived, I'm in the king's court, I'm in that place. And to my heartbreak, there was this huge division, basically the vision was a little bit premature, and there was a lot of pain, like within the body of Christ, it wasn't just people who weren't close to me, these were people that I was like, almost in covenant with. It was so painful. And uh, it took me some time to work through that misalignment and, and, and the brokenness in those relationships. But at the same time, looking back, I see that the Lord helped my heart to grow in love. And I met some of my Jonathan friends in those season, in that season. <coughs> some of my dearest, closest friends came through walking through brokenness together and now we see the Lord, like we have a similar calling in our lives, and together we see how the Lord has, has used that season, which totally changed everything, how we thought it was going to look, and actually 
it's it, it was so much bigger than we would ever have imagined. What God had in mind was a lot wider than what we were thinking. And so we see the goodness of the Lord. And these relationships are forever. Even though it was a painful season, these covenant relationships that were birthed out of a season of pain, they are forever. And um and I'm so I'm so grateful for that season. I'm really, really grateful. All right. So let's move on to the season of, uh, did you say Hebron or Hebron? I don't know. Second Samuel chapter 2 through 5. Ooh, it's hot. Let me get some water. This is when David is approximately 30 to 37 years old. <coughs> and after a long season of uh, testing, David is tested by receiving only a partial inheritance. So in Hebron, David was established as the king of Judah, but this was only one of the 12 tribes of Israel that he was promised to rule. And in this season of promotion in which David had to continually find his primary identity, his meekness was tested. First, he had to continue in his primary focus of being loved by God and being a lover of God. Second, he had to continue in that servant spirit, in that meek spirit, you know, that same spirit that we take, we take Jesus' yoke upon us because he's gentle and lowly. He had to continue to learn from the humble one, to abide in the, in the humble servant king. And third, Oh, I think I skipped one. Oh, he had to continue in his servant spirit as king of Judah without any uh, disappointment in the delay of being king of Israel. So 2 Samuel 2, verse 1 through 4, just to kind of highlight this, it says, It happened after this that David required of the Lord, inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, where shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there. David brought up the men who were with him, those, those mighty men, those criminals. And they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. This is so much like what we see in Song of Songs 7, verse 11 through 12, where Jesus calls forth his beloved. It says, come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. So I think a really key part to take from this and again we don't have time to go over everything so I really encourage you to read through these passages and just chew on it notice that David always inquired of the Lord he always inquired is this the time that I shall go up yes or no he waited for the direction of the Lord and that's a huge contrast that we see to Saul because Saul was presumptuous Saul was quick to take matters into his own hands. Saul, Saul did what he wanted to do. He didn't embrace a life of dependence. David embraced a life of dependence. Saul was very independent. Saul was full of pride. That's why the Lord said, okay, sorry, Saul, you're not going to be king anymore. And he anointed David as king. And I, I just believe that the Lord is inviting us in every season, especially in that Adullam season when you're wondering, when is my time? He's saying, inquire of me. I will, I will, I will tell you if it's time to go or not to go. And I, and I, I really want to invite us to have that heart that we don't just <coughs> assume we kind of know or kind of feel we know, like Johan and I, when we're, when we're on the brink of a transition or we feel something happening, we really seek the Lord. We really have a fear of the Lord about that, that we don't want to be so presumptuous that we just, out of our own thoughts, think, okay, we know what to do. Now, there's also that part that Eric was talking about where you trust that you've heard the voice of the Lord. Sometimes you don't get like this 
big sign. Sometimes you don't, sometimes it's that still small voice and you have to trust and faith that you're hearing the Lord because you do hear the voice of the Lord. But there does have to be a measure of inquiring. There does have to be a measure of, Lord, I'm dependent on you and I need you, Holy Spirit, to tell me what season I'm in and when to move forward and when to take the land. See, in this case, it was right for David and his men to take their place in Hebron because the Lord commissioned him to do so. He said, this is the time. Go. When we start to enter into the manifest calling that we have, this is where everything that was cultivated in the secret place will start to bear fruit. This goes back to that verse, you know, that he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And this is the point, you know, as David starts to take hold of his calling, that this long history from the time in the shepherd fields with the Lord through the seasons of promotion and demotion began to, you, began to bear fruit. It's entrusting, entrusting the Lord through the highs and the lows that David trusted him in the cave of Adullam with all of those mighty men when he began to step into calling and promotion. We need to remain low in our hearts, not like low in the sense of you're just nothing. You're, you know, not like in a, in a condescending way, but in a fear of the Lord, gentle, the same servant, bridegroom, and king who's got that yoke next to you. You have to stay in that spirit. We have to embrace that spirit. At the same time, we do not need to be afraid of promotion. Really, when, when, when promotion comes, don't be afraid to rise up in it with confidence. As long as you're dependent, as long as you're abiding in the vine, it's perfectly fine and perfectly right and just when the Lord commissions you to lay hold of your calling and to walk in promotion. I think a lot of times, especially, I, I feel like in America, you wouldn't highlight this point so much culturally, but in Europe, it's, it's, we kind of have a hard time to, to embrace promotion. We feel like we look proud. We feel kind of like, oh, I don't want to puff myself up too much. That can also be false humility. It's not real humility. So when, when the Lord commissions you, you walk confidently, you lay hold of the promise, but with a servant spirit. That's when it's in the right place. And you can test that by the fruit that you see coming out of your own heart. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to test your heart so that you can see clearly and you can know that you're in right alignment with the Lord. Again, not in a fearful way, just abiding in the one who loves you, who's passionate, who desires you. It's common throughout the Bible and even in the seasons of our own lives. <coughs> Oops, getting ahead of myself here. Let's move on to the Jerusalem Zion season. This is again 2 Samuel 6 to 24. This is when he's 37 to 70 years old. And this is again when David's identity is tested in the fulfillment of his earthly promises and prosperity. This is when the anointing of power and authority is given to conquer God's enemies without losing his primary identity or his servant spirit. And it's in this context of his ministry or his calling that, that, that he, he receives this powerful public ministry. This is the season that most of us fantasize about. When we receive a sense of calling and anointing from God, we often fail to consider the journey to the destination, we just think, okay, I'm just going to step into this calling. Like, there's a process. There's a process of growing in love. There's a process of learning to be unoffended and to, to, to do it from that servant-hearted spirit <coughs> with Jesus at your side. So no, no season is trouble-free. David remained faithful in the small things. Um, but even in, in the season of promotion and demotion, you will still have, you will still have challenges. How many of you who have stepped into a certain measure of leadership, you come to find, oh my goodness, this is harder than being a follower. <laughs> this is actually not harder in a heavy way, but it's, it's more challenging. You have to, when you become, 
when you start stepping into leadership, and I've only stepped into a small measure. Not, not, I have not reached my Jerusalem Zion season. I'm definitely not there. But in the small places of leadership that I've been given, I've come quickly to realize that my servanthood is challenged, that I actually have to go lower, that I have to die more because I, Jesus dies for the ones that he loves, and I have to die for the ones that he loves, even when they're acting like those criminals from Adullam. Like, I have to love these guys. I have to lead these guys. So when you step into a place of leadership, when you reach your destiny, it's not always like, you know, somewhere over the rainbow. You get what I'm saying. There's still going to be challenges. Your, the, the state of your heart is still going to be tested, but it's a beautiful journey with your bridegroom. It's all unto growing in love and to helping others grow into love and into their destiny as lovers of God and those who are loved by God in the ultimate sense. It's always that context. So I'm going to start wrapping up before we have, I want to have actually a little bit of ministry time. Is there anyone who um, does the devos uh, during the weeks that, feel, Rosanna, do you want to, not, not yet, maybe in a few minutes, but I'd love if you would come up. So as we, you know, have looked on these different seasons of the life of David and we see this journey, we see this process, one thing we can, we can see even with other leaders, with other people in the Bible and, and how he works in our, our own lives, there's always the initial birthing of the vision where we receive our initial call, like in the Bethlehem season. Then there is usually a death of the vision where the pain and the difficulty and the delusionment and the delay comes in before being equipped to walk in the full calling. It's so, I mean, look at Jesus, king of heaven and earth, comes down really low, born where the animals eat, dies on the cross to be raised up again. This is how it works. And then finally, it's the release of the fullness of the vision. Like we see with the fullness, the release of the fullness of the vision, like when David became king over all of Israel and Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 5, verse 3. I mean, David received his full authority as king and began to develop his full destiny over the next 33 years from that time, from from that time that he arrived around the age of uh, 37 years old. Rosanna, maybe you can come up now. So I just want to pray, and I just want to invite you, if you're just processing and you're hearing this, and you might be asking yourself, or maybe it's good to ask the Lord, what season am I in? What season am I in in this journey? And you just want prayer. I just invite you even to raise your hand as Rosanna plays and sings. Um, and, and just to maybe some of the others can come around and pray. Or if you just want to sit and meditate and ask the Lord, you know, just talk to the Lord about this. What season am I in? What will you show me my primary identity? Will you help me to grow in love will you keep my heart from being offended if you want to just have a discussion with the lord i invite you to just sit here for a little bit while she sings and prophesies over you with song and and also if you really want prayer just raise your hand and maybe some around you can come and pray for you so let me pray father i just thank you i thank you for your son jesus and lord i thank you for the life of david and his example and walking unoffended, fully dependent, one whose primary success is your primary sense of success, simply in being loved by you and, and, and loving you. And from that place, your burning desire, your fiery love is what drives us to run the race. Lord, I thank you that you have not called us to striving, but you've called us to abiding. Lord, I thank you that this doesn't change through every season, through demotion, through promotion, in every part of the journey. 
you've called us to abide in you. Lord, I pray that when we when we don't feel the epicness of the story, the big story that we're in, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have that picture. Lord, when you say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Lord, that we will look and see the kindness and the fire and the desire in your meekness and your servant spirit, that we would be encouraged to keep going out of rest. Lord, I pray that we would be lovers first and that your love would drive us from rest. Lord, I ask you that any wrong paradigms or filters or sense of success that is outside of your love would just break off of us. And I just pray for freedom. I just pray for freedom over everyone in this room. Every one of us in this room, Lord. We just receive your love and we thank you that we are successful. We thank you that you delight in us.